Father, sometimes we read your word, and it's exciting in Genesis, and we enjoy half of Exodus, and we don't want to read Leviticus. And uh, I think some may be feeling that way about 1 Corinthians 4, 19, like um, Paul's beating a dead horse. But your word is uh, inspired by you and has been passed on to us. It's eternal, it's profitable, and so we ask you to help us to understand this passage why Paul seems to be going on and on about this, and that we would understand how it's useful in our lives today. So guide us, use us for your glory, and teach us your ways, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in 1 Corinthians 14, 13 to 19. You can hear me okay through the speakers? Okay, because I cannot hear myself. Just want to make sure that's working all right. I, I always check that because if it's not coming out, it may not be going out at home. And, um, or you, the homes people are watching and wherever they may be. So I want to make sure they can hear. The um, translation, I'm going to go through it, and I may start off with it pretty quickly, but um, this passage is hard. Um, the English is, I think, um, a lot of commentaries, things that I consulted this week, because I do check with them after I've done my own work, and I think a lot of them are lazy. Uh, a lot of them have simply followed what other people wrote, and have passed on information that I don't think is accurate. So I'm going to teach you where I'm coming from. And again, what do you do with the preacher? He's not inspired. He could be wrong. You check him out. And you read your Bibles. And you go look up some of the things that I put down here. So I actually gave it to you in writing. So you can follow up with that. And uh, just to review here. Paul took the first 12 verses of chapter 14. Explaining the superiority of the spiritual gift of prophesying. And a lot of times people don't understand that. It's still being claimed today. It's being claimed by cults. It's being claimed by charismatics. It's being claimed in different circles, even in some uh, evangelical circles that is still going on, not predicting the future, but still prophesying. And that is not true. I've explained that to you when we went through it. It was a foundational gift that was given to the church. It was a supernatural ability to receive uh, a revelation from God and to pass it on. That's not happening today. That's why you have Bibles to read. God completed that work. And so as you look at this, he's, he elevated it in 1 to 12, and then he goes out of his way, kind of like I mentioned there in my prayer, beating a dead horse, just going on and on and on, trying to help us understand that this gift of tongues is dangerous, if not used properly. It was dangerously being used in the Corinthian church. It was out of control. That's why Paul is rebuking them, and he's trying to get them straightened out. And the first thing you think of is, I'm not doing it. Not out of control in our church. Why harp on this? And so we're going to go in and figure out what's the purpose of this being passed on. Why will it be eternally written? When we get to the New Jerusalem, will there be a room with a, a, like a King James translation and then another room with a New American Standard translation and another room with a paraphrase for, for all of us getting up there and we say, well, we've got to start where we were, what we're used to and then we'll catch on. You think that's how it's going to work? No, you'll go back to the originals. You'll go back to the unedited, uh, unadded to copy that God wants us to know and read. And you may learn from it forever and ever because we're never going to know everything like God. But we have some things to work on here. So he's trying to tell them that emphasizing the inferiority of speaking in an unknown language in the church. And that's what you want to keep the focus wrapped around. That's the context. When you assemble, 
is what he's trying to focus on here. And so that'll explain some of what goes on. We're in Corinth, and grammar here is critical, and as I went looking for it in some of the best sources that I normally would go just for the grammar to figure out what is being said here, I found a lot lacking. I found a lot of things not even mentioned, and I was really shocked. So as we look at this, you want to take time, and so I made up this translation to try to bring out and emphasize the grammar of what it's trying to say here. So let me read that for you just to start with. The gold sheet I handed out. It says, um, verse 13, lest we come across like barbarians, because that's what the, and again, I'm, my tendency is to go back, that's what the therefore is there for. That's what he didn't want happening in the church. So lest we come across like barbarians, let the one who speaks in an unknown language be personally praying to God that he may be able to fully translate his own words. Okay, so you can sink on that, and we'll go back and look at that a little bit. Because if I could talk to God, subjunctive, in an unknown language, air would come out of my mouth, but my human understanding would be empty. Because I wouldn't even understand what I'm saying. But something's coming out. It's some kind of language. But again, this is what he's trying to stress. Therefore, in verse 15, what shall I do? I will talk to God with my words, and I will also talk to God with my human understanding. I will sing out with words, but, and I will also sing out with my human understanding. Because if you only speak good words in an unknown language, how will the one who occupies the position of the uneducated, untrained in your tongue, be able to confirm your good message with the so be it, or it is true, the amen, at your giving of thanks, considering he has not recognized what you are saying? So he can't say, so be it. It is true. He doesn't know what you said. Four, in verse 17, you are rightly giving thanks, but the man uneducated, untrained in your tongue, is not edified at all. I thank God I speak in the gift of tongues more than all of you. However, in a church setting, I will choose to speak five simple words that are understandable in my mind that I might be able to also orally make sense to others rather than 10,000 confusing words in an unknown language that ultimately is meaningless. Should I close in prayer? When you read this in the various translations, I've used the um, Living Bible, New Living Bible sometimes. They're horrible. They're horrible. And maybe you're not picking up the little nuances here, and I'm not even going to ask. But if you spent some time studying this this week, you probably went through and you said, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. What's he mean by that? And you're going through here, and maybe you took the time to go look them up. But unless you go into the grammar to understand the conditional clauses or conditional phrases here, um, first cl- or third class conditions that show up two times, the, the subjunctive that's being used, which I know you go, what is that? You need to learn how to discern the word of God. It is in a language. It's called English. And then you can go Father, back and look at what faithful. it was translated from. It's called Greek. And it lays it out for you very, very clearly. I was talking to Steve this morning, and he, he said, good morning. And I said, which good do you mean? And we got into a little bit of a discussion. Because in the Greek, there's three different words that are commonly used for good. Two real common, the third one not as often. So when we say good morning in English, we're limited. You have to figure out the context, who's talking to you, and what's going on. But if you say it in the Greek and you use a particular word, you know exactly what they're saying by the word good. And you can do that over and over and over again. How long does it take to master the Greek language? 
One gentleman at age 70 dove in, and at age 80, they considered him a master at the, at the Greek language because he dove in. We're making excuses and let the preacher figure it out. Well, the preacher's leaving. There might be a new one come in. Is he going to teach you the truth? Is he going to make mistakes? Is he going to learn along the way like I did? And I had to make corrections with even major theology. Probably so. That's not an excuse for the preacher any more than it's an excuse for the commentaries I looked at this week. They too were being lazy. They didn't want to delve into some of these questions. So let's delve into it. Let's figure out what's going on. In verses 13 and 14, the emphasis there is with a command, and I came up with the, the word in the outline to depend because he's telling them and commanding them to pray. Present middle imperative. You be personally praying to God yourself. And so he says here, therefore, and I, I mentioned to you, it, it carries on, on account of which, lest we come across like barbarians in the context here, let the one who speaks, the one who's communicating in church in, in this special area, um, in a tongue, and he's singular. Remember, I brought that up last week. And I'm, so I stressed here, I think he's talking about an unknown tongue, an unknown language in the context. Let that individual who does that pray personally cry out to God to figure out what is it he wants me to do with this. Pray that he may interpret. That little word interpret just means to translate. It has a preposition attached to it to translate fully, to give a clear understanding. Let me be able to, or let that person be able to explain the meaning. So if I stood up here right now and I started reading off to you, Greek even would probably be a foreign language you wouldn't understand. But if I even went to Hebrew and started reading it off to you, and you go, I have no idea what you're saying. Some of you say what you do regularly on Sunday mornings is, is a language I do not understand. <laughs> you think your parents ever did that to you? You think they ever used words that you didn't understand? And what did they do? Always dumb it down? Dad, dad, mama, I eat. Is that, is that what you did with your kids? Or did you talk to them in a way that you expected them to catch up. You, 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 they're not going to learn if you're not using some of those words. You may have to explain them to, to you. I use a dictionary almost every single day. I hear a word, I go look it up, especially if I don't understand it. But if I hear a word that I think is being misused, I go look it up. If I hear a word that it's kind of like, it's one of those confusing ones and somebody, um, you know, they, they use it, but they don't really, I don't think they knew. And I go look it up. There are certain books that are right handy to me at church and at home and one of them is a dictionary at home there's two of them because one's a lot more in depth i grab the simple one and then when it doesn't give me the right answer i grab the big fat one but i'm always learning always looking up always trying to figure out how this is supposed to go you as a believer even more so should be doing that on a regular basis the preacher used a word sunday write it down well i don't know how to spell it do the best you can Ask me at the door to spell it for you correctly. Go look it up. Am I, am I kind of harping on this? I just got a t-shirt for my birthday, and, and it says right on the front, read your Bible. <laughs> I may wear it in two weeks for my final, if I can figure out how to put a tie on with it. It's, it's what's necessary. It, if your children were growing up and you, and you taught them and taught them, when they finally leave home, you say, good riddance right? Off to college they go, hopefully not anymore these days. 
Off in the military they go, off to work in another state, whatever it may be, off they go, and, and you, you have no emotions about it at all, do you? Of course you do. If you love them, you're going to miss them. You'll weep over being separated. You're all concerned. You're showing them how to fold their underwear or whatever it may need to be done correctly that they never figured out at home. That was supposed to be funny. I, I really don't care what. You can fold it six different ways. You can throw it in the drawer. I don't really care. But, but you're giving them things you think are necessary to pass on. Why is that so important in the physical realm and yet we neglect the spiritual realm? Why aren't we making disciples of our own children and grandchildren? Oh, they're not my, no. You may not be able to spank them. You may have a different role to play, but they are the ideal opportunities for, for discipling. They need grandparents. He's telling them here, you need to talk to God. It's a present tense, but it's a middle voice. Be talking for yourself to God that you may be able to interpret. Otherwise, ultimately, what he's saying, and he goes on to say is, don't do it. Don't speak in Hebrew. Don't speak in Swahili. Don't speak in some language because you would sit there and go, this is useless. And you may come back the next Sunday to see if maybe it changed, maybe it's back to a normal language. Nope, useless. How many Sundays would it take you for you to go, I'm not getting anything out of that. I got to find a place that they are. This is what was happening in the church at Corinth. And they thought it was great. They were all puffed up about it. Look at me. I have the gift of speaking in tongues. Blah, 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 blah. Useless if it's not interpreted. So I think what he's doing here is he's kind of zeroing in on it to try to help them, but he's telling them it's your responsibility to figure out how to help translate fully what you're saying. And he says, because, in verse 14, if, third class condition, in this hypothetical thing, he's not telling you that he prays in a tongue. He's just throwing out there this hypothetical, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, my mind is unfruitful. And I put on the outline there for, I have to keep going back to it to make sure I don't forget what I told you, because that's what you're asking right now. Why'd you translate it like that? But I said here that air would come out of my mouth. The word spirit is just the word pneuma. Pneumatic. If you have a pneumatic tire, what do you put in it? Air. Or that goopy stuff that you stick in there because it went flat and you're trying to blow it back up, but it includes air. Sorry, I just had a conversation about that recently too. But he's, he, he's trying to tell them, if I pray in a tongue, my breath prays, the air comes out of my mouth is all I think he's talking about there. I keep looking when it's so confusing and I got 16 different explanations for that. I go, no, 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 this, this has got to be really simple. I don't think Paul is trying to get, and they went off into the weeds with some of them. He's simply saying here, my spirit prays, my, the words or the air comes out of my mouth, but my human understanding does what? My mind is unfruitful. It's empty, it's barren, it's fruitless. I don't get anything up here. So what good is it to babble? We watch little children when they're learning how to talk. It's fun. Do you understand that they're mimicking you? That's where they got it from. Why talk? Because mom and dad talk. And when they say things, if you listen closely, you'll notice patterns. 
at the youngest age when they first started saying things, Declan was, um, I don't know if Kimber's here, but Declan was um, saying a number of things. And he, and he actually said birthday yesterday. And you go, whoa, that's pretty impressive. But then he says a lot of other things. You kind of go, does not compute. I need a translator. And, and you, you find mom or dad. Dad's not very good at it. But you find mom to translate. And half the time, mom can tell you what they're saying. But the other half, she's going, eh, I don't know. And they do that for a while, don't they? Then sentences start coming together. And, and explanations. And then they figure out they have power. Like the word no. Or the word is, I don't like that. Or whatever else they put out there. But you've taught them, and you didn't realize as they came along that it had a pattern. It was a language that they're learning, even at a very, very young age. You just don't know it yet. And then it comes to be. This is what he's saying must be going on in the church in order for the fruitfulness or the, uh, for things not to be barren in what's being taught here. Tongues are at the bottom of the list, and the Corinthians had made it the top. The Corinthians had distorted it because they were being surrounded like we are today. If you mention tongues and you want to go to a church that's using tongues today, it is a mess. They don't follow Scripture. I'm not saying there aren't some exceptions, but the majority of them have no following of Scripture. They let the Spirit lead, supposedly. And it's confusion, and it's meaningless. It is fruitless. It's barren. So he says here, because I don't want that to happen, what's the outcome? And I put on the outline there, therefore, which is what it is in the Greek, the little un, what shall I do? And he says here, I will talk to God with my words. I will pray with my spirit. The air that comes out of my mouth will be words, and I shall pray with my mind also. It's not going to be just brain dead, and I'm just going to let it go wherever I want, which I've heard personally a number of times from people that are charismatic. You gotta, you gotta just let your mind shut down. Don't think about it. What's Paul saying? Don't ever do that. That's exactly what you have to do. If your brain isn't engaged, then you're not doing the work of the Spirit. Don't do it. And then he adds to it, I shall sing with the, with the Spirit. I will sing with airs. I put down on there, sing out uh, with words. I try to make it a little more practical and and also i will sing with my mind with that same intellect that same reason that same human understanding i'll use both they go together we watched a video in sunday school this morning it was exciting i heard amens i saw people they were they just were they can't whispering under their breath i can't wait to share this with other people is that how you responded was the information from that video true? Yes. Best you could tell, because you had no idea. It was almost in a foreign language about dating methods. But the gist of it you did get. You cannot trust the world to tell you the truth about creation. And here's all the reasons why you can't trust them. The world is not 4.5 billion or, or the universe 15 billion or whatever. Uh, the dinosaurs didn't get wiped out 26 million years ago by an, a meteorite. What an idiot of an idea. That has no science whatsoever in it. They don't want God. They're coming up with methods to try to prove there is no God. When you look at science like you're doing with the whole COVID thing, you're finding out the majority of the information in true science points to a young earth. 
And that's kind of what he was trying to present in Sunday school. That's the science. So what are we trusting? We go back to tongues, and all of a sudden we think because they're able to stand, or however they do it, the place I was at one time with 3,000 people doing it all at once, they were all standing. I don't remember if they told them to stand or not. It was chaos. It did not edify me in the least. In a little bit, it scared me. What are they doing? Who's flipped the switch that the whole auditorium went nuts? That's, they were mad, is what I thought they were doing. And here I'm a teenager. So Paul's trying to deal with this. They're letting that into the church in Corinth. It was worthless. And so what you know as when it's coming in there as a worthless thing, what part did the Holy Spirit have to play? None. That wasn't the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. And again, I, just to clarify, I only have a couple more weeks in this, in this series. But you, you realize that these gifts were not there 24-7. People think, oh, I just feel like speaking in tongues. Yeah, there we go. Who's directing the spiritual gifts? Who decides when the prophets speak? God does, because he gives them a message. Who decides if they're correct in their message? The other prophets. Two or three at the most, and let the other prophets check them out. How many people were allowed to speak in tongues? Two or three. It's what we're going to go into in the next couple of messages. Always limited. If there was no interpreter, keep silent. Then we get to the juicy part that you're all waiting for, that women are to keep silent in the church. And we have to figure out how does that fit in? What is he talking about there? That's another one where everybody goes 27 different directions. Go back to the basic grammar and figure out what it's talking about limitations were placed on them. The spiritual gifts were not focusing, functioning all the time. He says when they come together, each one has this or this or this. He said, let it be done decently and in order. Let it be done for edification. It wasn't chaos. It wasn't 3,000 people standing up and speaking in tongues at one time. It was coordinated by the Holy Spirit. That's how it worked in the first century. I've explained to you, and I'll take whatever debate or criticism or whatever comes along with it i think all of the gifts are done today they all were more like crutches that god used training wheels that he used in the early church to get it established because what he was pushing toward that the whole context we're looking at is it's love it's a maturity where you don't need those things anymore the holy spirit doesn't have to prompt you through an individual where he supernaturally is giving them something instantaneously to share with the church you now have the scriptures you now have a mature heart where you don't immediately respond when somebody hates you, punch them in the nose. You used to, some of you. Now you hold back. And you follow the example of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. He didn't punch anybody in the nose. This is what God's after, is the Holy Spirit controlling the church. And the evidence you're looking for isn't tongues. They're at the bottom anyway. Even when they were first there, they had a purpose. And that purpose will come out next week. The purpose was that the church would mature and be edified, edified toward Christ's likeness. That's what it was all about all along. You go back, if you just take the time this week and read 1 Corinthians, you'll see it from the very beginning. Rebuke, 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 rebuke. You're carnal, you're babies. You need milk. Grow up, Corinthians. 
That's why they were having a problem with tongues because I want something showy. I want something that convinces people that I'm spiritual when in reality, I'm not. So don't believe the lie. Look for love, not spiritual gifts. And understand, as we've been trying to explain, not the world's kind of love, a sacrificial devotion to other people. Love is consistent. It, you can punch them on a Monday, punch them on a Tuesday, punch them on a Wednesday. You get the same response, a bloody nose and a calm spirit. Now, maybe they take a step back by Thursday. Maybe they're trying to help you not go around punching people because it isn't good for you. You're going to get arrested. It's called assault. Maybe they have other loving reasons for whatever they're doing, but they're not hating you. They're not wanting to lash out. They're not looking for some way to sue you or to shoot your dog or, or whatever it may be, find you guilty of something. That's not what love does. Love covers, just like Jesus covered. God sits on a throne and judges. It doesn't mean it goes away, but if you take the gift, if you take the payment, if you accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for yourself. You get the redemption. It's a free gift. No, that can't be. It is. That's what makes it so special. Because we can't do anything on our own. And he's talking to these Corinthians, and they're believers. They have all the gifts in the church. They weren't lacking anything from God. They were lacking everything from themselves. They wouldn't, they wouldn't grow up. They wouldn't obey and do what they needed to do. So they went from this idea that he says, you need to be mindful. It's what I need to do when I'm in a church, lest you become mindless in verse 14 and unfruitful. So he, he moves to the idea of depending on God to deciding. You have to make a decision. And here he is in verse 15. What's the outcome then? What shall I do with all of this? What, how am I gonna respond? And he says to him, I shall pray with the spirit, and I shall pray with my mind also, or the mind also. I shall sing with the spirit, I shall sing with the mind also. I put down here in verse 15, therefore, what shall I do? I will talk to God with my words, and I will also talk to God with my human understanding. I will sing out with words, and I will also sing out with my human understanding. There's people today who are claiming all kinds of things about tongues. They can sing in tongues, pray in tongues, speak in tongues. It, it's become this whole entourage and you almost get levels like first stripe for speaking in tongues now you're a corporal for being able to pray in tongues and now you become a sergeant in the church and really looked up to and respected because now you can do whatever it is the next step that's not what it was about it was about being servants and laying down your lives for one another and letting the other person step on you to get up higher to christ likeness that's what it was about i'm seeing a lot of fear today in this whole covid epidemic I think a lot of the fear is based on a much more the problem with lies. What they're telling you, we're getting more and more reports from top people in top fields, and they're coming out with the truth, and they're finding out, nope. They've been lying about everything. Not that COVID isn't bad. For those of us that have had it, you understand, it's bad. But so is the flu, and so is the common cold, depending on how bad you get it. But there's issues that go along with that. But they're, they're lying in so many ways. Love never lies. Love rejoices in the truth in 1 Corinthians 13. What is the world not doing for us? Loving us. Who are they thinking about? And we don't know all their motives. God has to sort that out. As to why they're doing what they're doing. We don't know. 
but they don't love us. You want somebody who loves you to guide you, which is God himself through his word. And so he comes in here and he's got this question. He says, therefore, let the one who speaks, I'm sorry, back down, um, to pray with, the, with my spirit. And, and I think all that is was the air coming out of me. I'm gonna take it that simple. I always go simple, 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 simple when I wanna figure out why is this a mess? Why is everybody going every which direction? I think that's all he's trying to say. But he's trying to bring out in verse 16, otherwise, with this conjunction, if you bless, and it again, in the spirit only, um, in the and only are not in the text, in maybe there's some discrepancies as it, if it belongs here or not. It's not a definite article and there is no only, and it's hypothetical. It's the third class condition again in verse 16. I wrote it because if you only speak good words in an unknown language, because he's now talking about this same problem, this misuse of tongues. How will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen? I feel like I've already preached all this because I read that, that translation. But when he brings up this idea, if in the hypothetical, you could or you might bless in spirit, I'll leave it at that. How will the one who fills or occupies this space, the position of the ungifted, this is an interesting word. The best way I put it, and I put it in the translation, is an uneducated person, an untrained person, specifically in the context, in the tongue you're speaking. That's all it's getting at. It's a really interesting word. You need to do some work and look it up. But how's that person gonna say amen? So be it. It is true. And they verify it, which you used to get, if you grew up in a Baptist church, that was a common practice. Okay. I heard a real fate one and then I heard nothing. But just the idea people would say, amen. It came to a point when I grew up, I had no idea what it meant. It's just what you do. So I looked it up. I tried to figure out what's going on here. And I figured out you are in agreement with whatever was being passed on. But he's bringing out the idea here. If you bless, if you speak well of is what it's trying to focus on. If you ascribe praise, guess what they did in Acts 2 when they spoke in tongues? Acts 2, verse 11. Don't, don't guess, even though I said guess. But look at what it says in the text. Tell me, tell me what they did. They all continued amazing. Um, I'm, verse 11. Cretans and Arabs, so they had 15 different dialects. We hear them in our own tongues, speaking the mighty works or deeds, depending on your translation, of God. That's what tongues was doing. Guess what he just said here? If you bless, if you speak well over, ascribe praise ultimately to God in spirit with these words, how will the one who occupies the place of the ungifted, uneducated, say amen at your giving of thanks? You're recognizing God in that way since he does not know what you are saying. He does not know is a perfect tense. He's trying to bring up here. He has not known and will and does not know in the present that you, what you are saying. He'd never learned that language and he doesn't know it today. How's he gonna say amen? How's he gonna receive that praise? What did they hear on the day of Pentecost? They heard praise. Who's they? Who's the context in Acts 2? They weren't believers yet. They were Jews 
And they'd come in from many areas. 15 different dialects were represented. They'd been dispersed and scattered out. They, were, they came back together for Pentecost, and here they are. They heard the language. If Steve was up here talking in their, their language, and 15 of you were sitting out there that had different dialects, you all heard his one speech in your dialect. How do you do that? And it wasn't just Peter. It was all of the disciples that were there, except Judas, because he wasn't around anymore. So there's 11 of them. They're all sharing that information in a specific dialect. How did they do that? So some of them went, were amazed, and other ones said they were drunk, because they couldn't come up with another reason. Now, how do you do that? Well, drunkenness doesn't explain it. It's just an excuse because they didn't want to accept it. But it was Jews. Why is tongues given in 1422? 1422? It's a sign to unbelievers. When you go back and look at Acts 2, it was a sign to thousands of unbelieving Jews, and they got it. In chapter 10, it's a sign and they got it. And again, praise comes out in Acts 10. In Acts 19, it's a sign. Peter's involved in Acts 10. Paul's involved with Acts 19. It's a sign again, but it doesn't tell you, it doesn't go into detail as far as what they said. That's what it was for. Why would you use it in the church? Because you had unbelieving Jews who had come in. Is that, is that confusing? If it's assigned to unbelievers, and I stress the Jewish part, we'll explain that next week, then, then that's who I'm talking to. That's why Paul said, I did it more than all of you. Because he wasn't doing it in the church. That's not where you expected to find unbelieving Jews. That's why it was the least. It was the bottom. It really wasn't that often used in the church. But it was outside. Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19. The only three times mentioned in there. Then the rebuke of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and a questionable application of it in Mark 16 that many debate shouldn't be there at all. It's kind of interesting. Why would God do this? He's trying to draw the Jews in with a specific sign being done by believers. The apostles to begin with. And then you see others who had accepted the message. And so as he comes in, into the section... He's, he's trying to stress here that there's a quandary that the ungifted are not going to understand. They're not going to be able to say anything. They're, they're not going to benefit. And why? It's because of a no, number of these times in here, you find the um, tongues, uh, not from the Spirit, but in the singular, as we talked about last week, of being man-made. Commonly performed in that day. All, many of the cults around them, many of the false churches around them were speaking in tongues. Guess what's happening today? Same thing. So God says in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, many will say to me on that day in the context there, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons. We perform miracles. We prophesied. What are those three things? They're spiritual gifts. They're saying, we did the spiritual gifts. And ultimately he says to them, depart from me, I never gnoscoed you i never knew you experientially i didn't have a relationship with you and then he says and the reason why that never happened is because you practice lawlessness you're on, you're not saved you're trying to claim these gifts and claim a relationship with me through those gifts when you never knew me 
And you went on sinning. That's what your lifestyle was. There are so many people that come to church these days. They're playing games. They put on a front. They tighten up and they look really good at church on Sunday. It's not what they're doing during the week. They're living however they please. They don't let other people see it. They may not even do it publicly around unbelievers because they don't want it to get out. But I've been around some. As a preacher that had to do construction in Lapine for eight years when the church was small, it was fun. When they found out after days of work that I was a preacher, there were a number of them very embarrassed. But what it had done for me is I knew exactly where you're coming from. Don't tell me you're saved. You practice lawlessness. I drove a carload of girls to a, uh, I'll leave it general, to a sports event. And when we, we got there later, I found out from, from one of my children that the girls were really upset because they didn't know I was a preacher. And I got to listen to what they talked about in the car. They thought I was just another heathen. It didn't matter. And I was just driving. I wasn't paying attention. I found out where they were coming from. But they were embarrassed for the reality to come out. How do you think people are going to feel in Matthew 7 when God says it to them? Are they going to argue with them? Are they going to try to sue him or get their lawyer to, to work on it? This is the reality, and yet we live in this phony world like they were doing in, in the Corinthian church, and Paul is addressing it. This is what he's after. This is what we need to ask ourselves. What am I doing claiming it's of God when in reality... The Holy Spirit has nothing to do with it because I'm not walking with him. But I put on a really good front on Sundays. Good morning. How you doing? Fine. First lie. What do you mean by fine? Oh, don't, don't ask me that. It would be too long to share with you. Well, go ahead and share with me anyway. That's what we do at church. We have a half hour to talk. You get here at 10, you can, you can interact. And what do we normally focus on? Personal, what's that? Uh, you don't want to share it a second time. Personal, physical struggles. That's the norm. What happened to personal, spiritual victories? Why isn't that the norm? Because I'm really not living there. And I'm kind of embarrassed to talk about it. I'm just trying to help you. I'm a facilitator. You only get two more weeks of me for now. Then I don't know what God's going to do. But I'm running away. I'm taking a trip. I'm escaping. Really going out on ministry with, with my wife. But I'm taking God with me. I'm taking my Bible with me. I want to take my righteousness with me. I want, to, I want to grow spiritually. I want to mature in my love as I go out and go into weird situations and strange food and other people's homes and expectations and whatever it may be. Traffic jams. I have to love people. I'm not stopping. We already have a church set up we're going to when we get down to a certain place. We're working on some other ones. This is how you live, right? This is what you live for. This is what matters in your life. It's Jesus Christ. It's a love for him. It's a desire to be more and more like him, to devour the word and even learn a little bit of Greek and Hebrew, if it will benefit me in understanding. When you run into a problem in the scriptures, you, you tend to run to somebody you think is an authority. And that's fine as long as you're a one or two-year-old. But if you've been a believer for 20 years, why are you still running to your parents? 
Why haven't you grown up and learned how to get into the word for yourself? This is an expectation on the part of me that you may not like, and I'll get off the soapbox. But this is what he's struggling with. He's continuing in verse 14 with, I mean, 17 with this quandary. He says, you are giving thanks well enough. And again, I try to stress the way he put that in here. You, for you are rightly giving thanks. Rightly is an adverb. Well enough is an adverb here. You're being noble. You're being beautiful in the giving of thanks. But the uneducated man, untraining your tongue, is not edified at all. He has no idea what you're saying. Corinthians, why are you letting that happen in the church? It's fruitless. It's mindless. And then he tells them as he goes on with this. It's ineffective, so I put it on your outline. Here's what you should be desiring, or he's desiring. He says, I thank God. Again, a, a form of um, good grace is kind of the word he uses there. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Now, where is that found in scripture? Where do you find Paul speaking in tongues ever in scripture? If you look this week, because you come across that and you go, hey, what, what does that mean? And you try to find out, you won't find it. You can look up the tongue, glossone, gloss up and, and figure out where it shows up. Many times it just means language or it can mean your literal tongue or other times it means um, uh, this un, 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 ununderstandable. I'm trying to get that one out. But he's, he's saying, I speak in tongues more than you're all. Why would Paul claim that? And why would Paul do that? What's the purpose of tongues? Uh, and especially Jews, but, but it's a sign to unbelievers. Where did Paul go as an apostle? Scattered around the known Roman world. And when he went there, what was the first place um, he tried to visit? And then he ultimately ended up in the second place. First place, synagogue. Second place, jail. Okay, that's just was the pattern he was in. Because he always stirred up a ruckus. The Jews didn't want him around. But if he's saying here that at points in time in his life, he spoke in tongues. It doesn't mean it was gibberish. It doesn't mean they didn't understand. He spoke in a language that was understandable to them, and he puts it back here in the plural in verse 18. The spiritual gift of tongues. So Paul's an apostle. From everything we can tell, Paul's a prophet. Paul's a teacher. Paul spoke in tongues. How many gifts did he have? Obviously more than one, which I've read books this week that said, oh, you only get one. Okay, I closed the book, can't use that. If they're going to be that far off on such a simple little thing without any scripture references whatsoever, I don't have any use for them. And I went to books that I've had for decades and found stuff in them. I'm going, I wrote in them just in case somebody gets them after I die. Nope, not true. Because it didn't fit scripture. So why are you teaching that? And these are big names. Big names in the, in the last few decades of the church, they're teaching stuff that isn't going along with Scripture. Paul spoke in tongues to give the Jews he was serving a sign that he was of God. That's it. He didn't evangelize with tongues. I got that in a bunch of books this week from well-known people. I was shocked. I go, where does the Bible tell you they ever evangelize with tongues? Why would you state that in the indicative as a matter of fact? when it's not true. And I'm realizing so much in many of these commentaries, they're just telling you what they've been told or they're telling you what makes it, everything kind of makes sense at the moment. They're telling you what you want to hear, but it's not what the scripture says. You need to become experts in the word of God. 
little bit of Greek, a little bit of Hebrew. You just need to know how to look up things and check them out and see what's going on. Or, or else maybe you don't care. You, wanna, you like being a baby. Didn't you hate it when you had to move out? I remember the morning that I drove off as, I think I just turned 18, got in a car with a friend at 5 o'clock in the morning and headed off to Multnomah Bible College. My mom didn't want me to go. I just had my wisdom teeth out the day before, or two days before. I had one day with tea bags to get it to calm down, and then I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning on Friday, and I drove off to school. My mom didn't want me to go. Did I tell you my mom didn't want me to go? That, that's what mothers are like. They're trying to work with us. But God said, I've got things for you. You need to get out. You, you need to get involved in ministry and a variety of things. And I went back home. I was welcome at home until whenever, you know, until my parents, my dad died, my mom had to move out. And then we welcomed her into our home. But you have that relationship. It's there. But the ultimate lead that I'm following is God's. It's not human. I'm not looking for my mom's cooking, which was really good. I'm not looking for my dad's money, which was generally good until he lost his job. I'm looking to God. Many of you with COVID today or with the whole question, you're living in fear. Fear of what? Give me the things you're afraid of. And I'll go to scripture and show you, nope, 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 nope. If you're in dying, there's a whole lot in the Bible about that. You may not know the Lord if you're really that afraid. You afraid of pain? How do you think Jesus was on the cross? Did he hang up there and say, oh, this is nothing. You got some more? Can you, come on, bring it on. Is that what he said? No, because they maximized it already. But it wasn't his focus. It's ours. We get so wrapped up in it. That is the focus of a child. When they fall down and scrape their knee, and it, it, it's like hardly bleeding at all. In fact, you have to look for it to find out where they scraped it. And you're going to have to put uh, owie fluid on it, whatever you call the stuff. You're going to have to put a bandage on it. You're going to have to blow on it. And then you're going to have to baby it for a little while. That's normal. That's okay. But if you're still doing that to your 20-year-old and your 30-year-old, something went wrong. That's happening in the church. All I'm trying to do with this series, with this season of love, as we've called it, is to prepare the church for what's coming. I don't like persecution any more than you do. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of COVID. It came and went. But, but I'm looking to God to take care of my needs, not man. You won't get answers from doctors. You'll get a lot of distortions. Many of them are innocent. They're just following what they've been told. But at top levels, they're lying big time. You've got to go find out for yourselves. I don't just study the Bible. I go collect experts in their fields. One of them that promoted the whole vaccine and all of the stuff for three months until they started seeing some things and what totally flipped him, he said, you should never, ever give the vaccine to a pregnant woman. Any vaccine. You don't do it. And then to get a report from somebody I know um, related to our family that says in a hospital... In recent days, they've had four or five stillborns. And every single mother had gotten the vaccine. And they said, we rarely ever get stillborns. So you start putting two and two together and you ask the question. Now I'm meddling. This is where they're going to cut me off. 
because I'm saying things that people don't want said, but I'm going, it's the realities of what's out there. But am I afraid of dying? No. I've already had been vaccinated God's way, far superior, follow the experts that really tell you the truth. Why would I need a vaccine? Some of you've had it. That's your decision. Some of you still want to wear masks. That's your decision. I am not going into that realm. I'm simply saying, why are we afraid of what man can do to me? Fear the one who has control over your soul. And it's the one that the Corinthians were neglecting. They made man their focus. They were elevating men. They were de-elevating prophesying. They weren't getting the messages from God anymore, but they were showing off. They look really good on Sunday. And that's the problem. I thank God in verse 18, I speak in tongues more than you all. That's the only way I can understand what Paul's getting at. However, and notice what he says, in a church, there's no definite article in, in the Greek. It's just in a church, in a local assembly, when I'm gathered with a group of believers at a particular time, I desire, I wish, and I put on your um, I will choose to speak. I put it even a little stronger there. But it's, it's a subjunctive. It's, it's possible. It's, I'm able to do that. I can, I could, I should, but I desire to speak five words with my mind, five words with my intellect, with my reason, with something that's understandable, that or in order that I may instruct others also. And it says in, in your little um, paraphrase here, he says that I might be able to also orally make sense to others. When you look up the word instruct there, it's not the normal word for instruction. It's specifically instructing people with your mouth. Paul's back in the service. He says, I want to give them what they need orally. And that's what he's talking about. But I'd rather give them five words than 10,000 words in a tongue singular. And I put on there in an unknown language because it is fruitless useless and you're still sitting there going well i don't speak in tongues it's not an issue in my life you may be around it you may know people that are doing it you need to ask when you get around it why do you do that you need to take them to the scriptures that i am instructing you in and help teach them you're making disciples you're getting them off of the train of man's focus off of the deceptions that are being misused get them back onto the truth get them into the word of god off of baby formula and onto meat so they can mature in christ and develop a sincere love does that kind of make sense why is this passage in here because the Corinthians needed it desperately, and I think the church today needs it desperately. My concern is that many of the Pentecostal charismatic, and it's hard to put people in categories, but that are going along with these things just aimlessly, not, not even really planning or thinking about it, that are claiming that people are walking forward and getting healed in services. They're not. Again, go check it out. I've known too many people. I've watched too many things. And my question is, why don't you do it Jesus' way? I want to see you raise somebody from the dead four days after they die. Why don't they do that? Wouldn't that be a really good sign? Wouldn't that be an evidence of that, that God is doing something really unique and special? Yeah. How about the man who couldn't walk for 40 years? And you knew him. You have helped take care of him. You have brought him meals and money and provided his needs in his house because he couldn't do anything for himself. And all of a sudden they bring him in and Jesus heals him or Peter heals him or whatever happens there. And you go, wait a minute. Those aren't the people going forward in these so-called uh, meetings to get healed. 
Go check it out. Satan is lying to people. And even the ones that claim that are psychosomatic, that go to a meeting and say, oh yeah, I was healed. Go check on them a year later, two years later, and you'll find out the majority, if not all of them, will tell you, well, it came back. I don't remember reading that in my Bible. When God says healed, it's gone. It doesn't come back. Or they say, well, most of it was gone. And a lot of it is mental. You need to go back and look at what Scripture is trying to bring up and emphasize here that the truth is what God is trying to bring along. Spiritual growth, maturity, evidenced by a genuine love. That's why the training wheels were being used. And what did they do with the training wheels? They didn't put them on the bike. They took them to church and they put them on the pulpit. Look at me. These are my training wheels. Pretty nice, huh? Gold-plated, extra reinforcement, special pneumatic tires. You see what the church was doing in Corinth? They were showing off the very things you go, that's not what those are for. And I don't care what your training wheels look like. I want to see Jesus. And that's what the world is saying to each one of you as we close off. Can they see Christ in you? Got a lot of people telling me, well, I, I don't want to be confrontational. Well, then you don't want to be Jesus. And I don't mean, I don't mean being mean or, or um, purposely abusing somebody, but you better contend earnestly for the faith in Jude verse 3. I, I don't want to be controversial. Well, then you're not going to be like Paul who said, imitate me. He went in, what was the first thing he did? Right to the synagogue, and he was a Jew, so he could do that. Once in a while, he had a half-breed or a full Gentile with him, and, and that got him in trouble sometimes because they claimed things. But he went right into the fire, jumps in, starts swimming around. Why? To stir up trouble? No, to share the gospel with his brethren. The ones he said, I would wish that I would be accursed if they could be saved in the book of Romans. He loved them. He had an unlimited devotion, sacrificial devotion to the Jews, many of whom he had never met, but he was willing to die for them. That's what God's looking for in us today. And then to realize the next place I'm going to go is to jail. And so they're, they're talking about if you haven't been vaccinated and you refuse, we're going to have to isolate you somehow. What are you going to do with that camp? Panic? Quit? Deny Christ? Tell them you've been vaccinated, whatever, you know, start lying? Is that what you're going to do? Or are you going to be there to share the gospel and make disciples? Our life is a vapor. I don't know what's going on over there, but half of you are looking over there. <laughs> Our lives are just vapors, folks. We keep trying to <laughs> pump it up, keep the, keep the flame burning. God does that. Excite your life with the scriptures. Excite your life with really walking by the spirit. Excite your life by laying it down for somebody else. Spiritually. Physical will be there, but then the spiritual. Tell them about Jesus Christ. Make disciples. I only have two more weeks. What do you expect to be coming out of me? Go get them. Let's pray. 
Father, we are grateful to you. I, I am amazed as I open up your word. I'm amazed at you. I'm amazed at your son. I'm amazed at the Holy Spirit. The work you do in us and through us, the sacrifice you've made to give us eternal life, the sacrifice that you've made to give us abundant life. Father, may we lay down our lives in serving you. May there be people in the New Jerusalem who come up to us and thank us for being faithful to you. We thank you, Father, for your word. Sometimes it's not easy to understand. Help us not to give up. But may we look at it carefully and live it out sincerely in everything we do. Thank you for your perfect love and for your goal for us to be just like Jesus. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.